Once you found Luke chapter 10, verse 30, if you would, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter number 10, verse 30. We're going to read down through verse number 37. I'll begin in verse 30. We'll begin together in verse 31, and we'll read in that pattern down through verse 37. The Bible says, beginning in verse 30, And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead together. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three, thinkest thou, was neighbor unto him that fell among the, among the thieves? And he said... He that showed mercy on him, then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. The title of the sermon this morning is this, My Sympathy for the Suffering. This man was beat up and thrown into ditch. He was suffering. And this morning we're going to look at how we can have sympathy for those in life who suffer. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the Bible. It is such a practical book. So few seem to understand how practical it is and how it applies to our everyday living. Father, we ask this morning that you would give us ears that not only hear, but hearts that understand and lives that go forth and put into practice what will be preached today. Stir our hearts this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Here in our Bible we find Jesus sharing a very powerful illustration about how people responded to others uh, who were in need. Uh, What brought about Christ sharing this story to begin with? Look back with me at Luke chapter 10 and look at verse number 25. Luke 10, look down with me, if you will, at verse number 25. The Bible says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, Well, what is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. But he willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And who is my neighbor? So uh, this guy comes to Jesus and he says, All right. What do I have to do to get into heaven? And Jesus says, well, you're a studied, learned man. What does the Scripture say? And he says, well, the two greatest commandments are to love God and to love your neighbor. And Jesus said, okay, well, it sounds like to me you've got it down, you know what to do. Go out and do it, and and you'll, you'll, you'll find life. And then the lawyer does what lawyers do. He searches for a loophole, right? Lawyers are great at finding loopholes, right? They comb over contracts. And they find any error in that contract. And so he begins to exploit a potential loophole. And he asks Jesus, he says, all right, well, who is my neighbor anyway? That word neighbor seems quite vague to me, right? Is my neighbor, you know, my friend? Is it my next door neighbor? Uh, Who is my neighbor? And uh, this lawyer uh, had a head knowledge of the two greatest commandments, but he did not have a heart knowledge. He did not have a practice in his lifestyle of loving God and loving his neighbor. So Christ uses a very powerful illustration to help make his point in regard to loving his neighbor. And that's where we get the story of the Good Samaritan. I believe that if Jesus Christ was a member of White Oak Baptist Church, he would be whole heartedly involved in the bus ministry. I believe that. He would be all in on the bus ministry. 
You say, well, why can you be so certain that if Jesus was a member of White Oak Baptist Church, he'd be all in on the bus ministry? Because Jesus was always surrounded by those who were pushed aside by society. Pushed aside by society. He found those who were rejected by society, and they came to him. He drew them. In fact, the Pharisees will look and say, uh, what, is your, what is your master doing eating with publicans and sinners? Who were the publicans and the sinners? Well, the publicans were the well-to-do rejects of society, and the sinners were the, uh, the poor rejects of society. And Jesus ate with him. And you know what Jesus did? He turned around and he said, it isn't those that are well that need a physician. Physician, He said the sick need a physician. Not uh, the whole, but the sick. And he said, listen, I have come to bring righteousness to those who are in sin and suffering. Um, each Saturday, our bus workers, they get up and uh, they come here to the church and they gather here at 9.30 and uh, they meet uh, with the other bus workers, and uh, they're given a little biblical challenge, and then they gather together some, some gospel tracts and some uh, flyers, and they uh, get in their cars, and they drive into Bridgeport, uh, Trumbull Ave, and uh, over, um, uh, over there by Bridgeport Hospital, there's an area uh, where they go, and, and, and they spend two, three, sometimes four hours. And you know what they're doing? They're visiting people who are hurting. They're visiting people who live below the poverty line. They're visiting people who have broken homes. They're visiting people who battle, many of them, not all of them, but many of them battle uh, with a single-parent home, or maybe alcoholism, or uh, maybe some sort of drug issue uh, that's present. Uh, they go around and they stop and they talk to people who are uh, going through life's hardships, and uh, they walk into areas that don't smell real good. And then on Sunday morning, Saturday evening, they're on their phones, and they're texting, and they're calling, and they're prodding, and they're pushing, and some of you in here are the ones that get those texts of being prodded and pushed. Maybe to a level where it's a little bit annoying, right? And they're encouraging you, hey, I'm going to be there tomorrow morning. I'm going to be there with the bus bright and early. Get on the bus. My wife begged me before I got up here not to talk about her. But I have to, I have to, I'm illustrating, okay? So she'll have to be okay with it, all right? She didn't have a choice, okay? Um, my wife has been a bus captain most of our marriage. You saw the picture of us when we were just babies, okay? Really young, right? I sent that picture to Brother Joe. Brother Joe put the video together, and he texted me back and said, I forgot that you were really young at one time. And, um she still looks the same, but I, I look quite different than I did in that picture, didn't I? But uh, my, most of our marriage, my wife has been a bus captain, and uh, I have joked that for most of my marriage, I have not had a wife from 5 p.m. on Saturday to the time we go to bed on Saturday because she is consumed with the bus ministry. She is consumed with getting people lined up to come to church. Her heart and her mind... Uh, for the uh, majority of the 15 and a half years we've been married, has been filled on Saturdays with how do I get people to church. And um, I, it used to bother me. It doesn't bother me anymore. I just understand that's her ministry and that's her heart. She came to me a while back and she said, I've got a lot going on in my life. I've started this little business I got going on the side. And uh, I'm a, a wife and a mother and a pastor's wife. But I want to make sure that I don't, neglect my Christian duty. I want to make sure that I'm doing my part uh, to minister to those who are in need. And uh, listen, um, to those of you that come in on the bus, we probably wouldn't have a bus ministry right now if my wife had not stepped up two, two and a half years ago and said, I'll do it, because we didn't have anybody else willing to do it. She stepped up and said, I'll do it. And you teenagers that come in on the bus, I know my wife can be hard on you sometimes, but if it wasn't for her, you wouldn't be here. So make sure you show her some love, all right? Because she's the reason why you get to come to church. We probably wouldn't have a bus ministry right now if she hadn't stepped up and agreed to do that. And I'm thankful for that. And uh, listen, it's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice. It's a practice down in the heart to say, I'm going to set family aside on Saturday afternoons and evenings, and I'm going to set family aside on Sunday morning. I'm thankful my 
two children, Matthew and April, they get up and uh, they didn't used to like to do it. Now they're all in on it. They're all on board and they help out. But they get up and on Sunday mornings, I go, I come into the building. I get the building ready and I go home and I'm getting ready and I'm in the house by myself getting ready. And where's Angela and Matthew and April? They're on a bus and they're picking, uh, 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 picking people up and getting them here. Brother Daniel and Brother CJ, they live in Stanford and they get up even earlier. They get in a car and they drive all the way in uh, to uh, uh, Stratford and they get on a bus early and they go out and to Bridgeport and they pick up boys and girls and men and women and they make sure they have a ride and they get them here to church and then you know what church lets out Sunday afternoon and uh, we all go uh, uh, out to eat or we go home and have pot roast and uh, our mashed potatoes and uh, our delicious lunches and fellowship and you know where these people are they're on a bus taking people back to Bridgeport and dropping them off and they're getting back here to the church and getting in their car to go home somewhere between 1.30 and 2.30 in the afternoon only to be back here for a 5 p.m. service. They make the sacrifice because they say, listen, there are people that need a ride to church and they need the love of Jesus and we're going to step up and we're going to do our part and make sure they can experience the love of Jesus in their hearts and lives. This is what it means to love your neighbor. So I go back to my premise that if Jesus was a member of White Oak Baptist Church, he would wholeheartedly be involved in the bus ministry. He'll wholeheartedly be involved in helping those who are the most vulnerable and need a ride in transportation to church. Let's, uh, oh, I don't want to leave out Brother Okai. All right, Brother Okai over here. Last week on Bus Tip, this is Sunday, I preached a sermon similar, and he stepped up and said, I'm going to ride the bus home to make sure. Kids have a right to church. He doesn't want me to say anything any more than Angela wants me to, so we're making sure that he also feels uncomfortable in the service this morning, all right? Brother Okai, we appreciate you. One of the deacons of our church who serves the Lord well, has a heart for the Lord, and uh, every, every Sunday afternoon that he can, he's on that bus helping make sure those kids have a ride home. And it's a sacrifice for Miss Rose, too, because she goes home without her husband and uh, waits on him to get home. And we're thankful for the sacrifice the Okais make with our bus ministry. I don't so much want to, um, let me be clear here, I don't so much want to put people on a pedestal as I want to put their service on a pedestal. You with me this morning? This isn't about me uh, having people, uh, making people heroes around here. Jesus is the hero of White Oak Baptist Church. But Jesus ought to so touch and affect your heart that you want to serve others the way that these folks want to serve others. Let's jump in this morning and look at five powerful truths out of Luke 10 that deals with loving our neighbor uh, or showing sympathy to the suffering, all right? Number one, or before I give you number one, I want to ask you a question. Look up here. Do you want to eat? I don't mean physical food. I mean spiritual food. Did you bring your spiritual appetite today? Some of you have already slumped down in your chair and you're just enduring another Sunday morning sermon so you can get out of here. I see it's all over your face. I see everything from here. All right? You can't hide it from me. Some of you look bored to tears. I haven't even got going yet. All right? I'm already in a bad spot with you. Okay? It's written all over your face. All right? So I want to ask you a question. Did you bring your spiritual appetite? The church of Laodicea, you know what they're accused of? Never having any need. Never having any need. You know what? If you had a full-blown dinner and I put you in my car and I took you to a high-end buffet, you'd have no interest in eating any of it because you're full. Some of you came in this, this morning and you're not interested in what I have to say because you're not spiritually hungry. I may be stepping on a toe or two. Sometimes we need our toes stepped on. So I want to ask you a question. Are you ready to eat? All right, I worked hard putting this sermon together for you. Don't check out on me. All right? You're going to hurt my feelings. You don't want to hurt my feelings, do you? But less than hurting my feelings is you're going to leave here missing a blessing to have the Word of God feed your heart. All right? Maybe take just a moment and ask God to give you an appetite for His Word. Isn't that important this morning? Let's come hungry for the Word of God. Let's not just check some box. All right, point number one. Notice the condition. The condition. Look with me at Luke chapter 10, look at verse number 30. The Bible says, and this is a parable, or it may be a true story. We, we don't know that for certain. And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment 
and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. All right, let me give you an A, B, and a C. Letter A, notice, sin's perversion. Sin's perversion. Look back at verse 30. All right, our screens will get back up and work in just a minute. Don't let that distract you. Like it did just me, amen? Look at verse 30. And Jesus answering and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. Read that next phrase with me. Ready? Here we go. Which stripped him of his raiment. So this man is taking a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's on the highway going from one Israeli city to another Israeli city, Jerusalem to Jericho. And in his journey, uh, some guys jump out of the bushes and they grab him and they beat him up and they strip him naked and they leave him in the ditch. They stripped him of his raiment. What a violent act this man suffered. He had been beaten down and left to die in the ditch. They had stripped him of his clothing and left him wounded. Isn't that exactly what Satan and sin wants to do to each of us? He wants to strip us of our dignity and leave us spiritually naked. I think of the story of Jesus when he crossed the Sea of Galilee. And he got out in the land of the Gadarenes. And there's a, there's a, a graveyard right there when you get off the boat, or there was in Jesus' day. There was a man named, we know as the Maniac of Gadara. I went back this this week and I read that passage of Scripture. And the Bible says that this man had given himself over to the devil. He was possessed of evil spirits. In fact, Jesus asks him what his name is. And he says, Legion, for we are many. This man was possessed with Many, many, many devils. A legion of devils. You know what those devils had done for him? They had given him supernatural strength. Supernatural strength. Listen up here. But as a result, it stolen this man's dignity. He was naked. Yes, he could break any chain that anybody put on him. You know why? Listen up here. Satan has power that he wants to give you. Satan has power that he wants to give people. See, he'll give you that. But he'll strip you of everything else. This man's running around naked. And the Bible says he used stones to cut himself. This cutting that people do when they're depressed, I believe it comes from a demonic type spirit. People are destroying themselves. What does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us that sin brings death. When you're cutting yourself, that's a form of mutilation, self-mutilation. That comes from an evil spirit, from the devil. The Bible says this man ran over and he fell at the feet of Jesus and he worshipped him. This man knew he was broken. He knew he had problems. In fact, he'd been kicked out of society into the graveyard to live amongst the graves. And uh, uh, he, he was a wild man. He fell at the feet of Jesus and worshipped him because he wanted help. He wanted help. Now notice that as Satan tore at him, he took off his clothes. He took off his clothes. Just like these guys beat up this man from Jericho to Jerusalem, Jerusalem to Jericho, and left him naked. Sin wants to beat you down and strip you of your clothing. I have noticed a trend. I'm not standing up here preaching dress standards today. That's not my goal. But I have noticed a trend. Watch this now. As America has become more godless, America has become more immodest. We're far more immodest with the way we dress the further we get from God. Christians, you're called to be modest. Modesty is a New Testament principle. The older ladies are supposed to teach the younger ladies how to dress in a way that is modest. 
Satan wants to strip you of your dignity. Part of the way he does that is by stripping you of your clothing. Years ago, I coached a high school girls basketball team. I almost did not share this illustration. I'm going to try to be vague enough to where even if people online see this, they, they don't know who I'm talking about just because I, I do care for this person. One of the young ladies that I coached was fiercely loyal to me, played hard, one of the best players I ever had uh, as a girls coach. But I noticed that this young lady, on the court, fiercely loyal, worked hard, did everything I asked, was a team leader. Off the court, her behavior was very strange. She would go from being dressed in a way where she was dressed collarbone down to her knee and um, completely covered up one month. And then another month, she would dress in a way that was very promiscuous and and sensual and, and even sexual. And, and I didn't feel comfortable as a 20-something-year-old man addressing it with her or saying anything to her, but I went to our pastor and I said, Hey, what's up with... And I said the young lady's name. He said, Close the door. So I closed the office door and he said, That young lady was sexually abused as a child. And he said, what I think is happening is that she goes back and forth between hating the male sex drive, and she covers up, and then she turns around and feels unworthy of anything that is pure. And so she rubber bands back and forth between the way she's dressed. You see what sin wants to do? It wants to pervert. It wants to tear down. It wants to strip naked. Letter A, sin's perversion. Letter B, we see sin's pain. Sin's pain. And Jesus answering said, verse 30, And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment. Look at this next phrase. And wounded him. And wounded him. It is easy to judge people who maybe don't look like you or believe just like you. I ask you a question today. I pastor a church that is very diverse. Diverse in both color and diverse in uh, age and diverse in wealth class. I think that's a testament to a strong and healthy church. I think corporately as a whole, what I'm about to preach on, I think we're pretty good at. That does not mean there aren't individuals in this room who don't struggle with what I'm about to say. I ask you a question. What do you see when you, when you observe a drug deal going down on the street corner? What do you see? Do you see bad people doing something illegal? Or do you see a heart? Do you see a hurt soul looking to mask emotional pain? With those drugs. People are wounded. What do you see when you realize that woman standing on the corner is selling her body? Do you see a wicked sinner? Or do you see a woman who potentially is struggling to pay the bills and feed her children? What do you see when you drive past a man holding up a hungry and homeless sign at a traffic light? Do you see a dirty beggar? Or do you see a creation of God who is probably battling with social rejection and potentially battling mental illness? What do you see? What do you think when you smell marijuana on someone's clothes or on their breath? Are you quick to judge or does your heart hurt for them? You see, people are wounded. People live with great pain. People are laying in the ditches of life. It's amazing when you walk through life and you look at people 
you look them in the eye, you realize that just below the surface, many people are carrying great pain and hurt. Yesterday I was at the Dollar Tree buying some things here in Stratford. I was going through the line and paying for my things and the clerk behind the counter was a middle-aged Spanish lady named Evelyn. I asked that you pray for Evelyn. I looked at Evelyn and I said, God bless you. How are you today? And a tear welled up in the corner of her eye and she said, I've had two sisters die in the last month. I looked at her and said, I'm a pastor and I'm going to pray for you. She started to cry. And she said, thank you so much. She said, only my faith is going to carry me through this hardship. People are hurting. People are wounded. Oftentimes people turn to sinful vices because they're in a world of pain. Oh, they don't need us to judge them. They need us to love them. Let her see. We see sin's peril. Sin's peril. Look at verse 30. The Bible says, And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed. Look at this. Leaving him half dead. You know what sin does? It leaves people with no hope. No hope. For the majority of my college days, I gave my weekend to church ministry in South Chicago. If you want an idea of what the demographic of South Chicago is, Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard ran straight through the area where I did my church ministry. And so I was a dot of salt in a community of pepper, all right? And um, uh, me and my soul winning partner, uh, I remember once we were standing on a porch and we were knocking doors trying to invite people to our our church there in South Chicago, and uh, two plainclothes, undercover white police officers pulled up and got out of their car. And they went and got up and knocked on a door. And we're standing on a porch about three doors down. And uh, I looked at these guys, and I stared at them. And and I watched them, and I'm thinking to myself the whole time, what are they doing in this neighborhood? And uh, they, they knocked on the door and no one answered. And after about 30 seconds to a minute, they got back in the car. And I thought, man, those guys look out of place. And then I thought, whoa, I look just like they do. <laughs> Chicago is a very segregated city. In fact, there are neighborhoods that are highly Polish and European. You go one street over and the Latin people live there. And in those Latin neighborhoods, if you're... Uh, white or black, you don't go into the Latin neighborhoods. If you do, you look very out of place. And then there are Latin neighborhoods and and, uh, black neighborhoods. And there are two gangs in Chicago. There are the Latin Kings and the Gangster Disciples, and they have been at war with each other for decades. And if you're black, you don't go into a Hispanic neighborhood. And if you're Hispanic, you don't go in a black neighborhood. It is, you run the risk of losing your life or being greatly hurt if you cross those boundaries. And um, we did our ministry work there, and I, I went for three years. Every Saturday, I was there ministering to people and leading people to Christ and uh, counseling marriages, even though I wasn't married at the time, and uh, mentoring children and uh, taking them to church and seeing them get baptized and seeing them grow in the Lord. Three very, very, very productive years that helped shape my heart uh, toward, toward others. And I remember, I'll never forget this experience. I remember one Saturday, I was walking down a sidewalk. I can remember exactly where I was on the sidewalk. And this, this black man was walking toward me, and I stopped him, and I gave him an invite to our chapel church there. And I began to try to share with him the love of Jesus. And he put his hand out, and he said, Whoa, stop, I don't want to hear it. And I said, Sir, I said, Jesus is the answer. He said, no, He's not. He said, you don't understand how I live. You don't understand these neighborhoods. You cannot understand as a white man. I said, well, please try and help me understand. He said, I'll try, but you won't. He said, not even Jesus could help me. 
And I said, well, I don't necessarily agree with that, but go on. He said, you don't understand that in these neighborhoods, our schools underperform. And in these neighborhoods, kids that graduate from school, they have a low college acceptance rate. And in these neighborhoods, because these kids can't get a, a, a college degree, they can't get anything other than a low-income job. And so they stay below the poverty line. And in these neighborhoods, we have a vicious cycle of futility, of fatherless homes and broken homes and drug abuse. He said, in these neighborhoods, if you're born in these neighborhoods, you are stuck and there's no getting out of it. Not even Jesus could help us. I think there's some element of truth of some of what he said. There are plenty of people that have beat the system, but the system, as he described it, is oftentimes stacked against those who grow up there. Hey, listen, church. People that live in those neighborhoods are no worse or better than me or you. They were created in the image and likeness of God just like us, and they need Jesus just like we do. In 2016, or rather 2017, Brother Larry Kuntz, who's the director of Neighborhood Bible Time, the vacation Bible school program we use here in the summer, he, he came here to help uh, minister in our church. And Brother Kuntz has a commercial driver's license, and back then we had our own church buses, and Brother Kuntz would drive the buses into Bridgeport and he would pick up the boys and girls and bring them in for our morning rally. And he would go out in the afternoon and he would knock on doors and try to find new riders to come. And about Thursday of that week, he'd been here almost a week, about Thursday that week, Brother Kuntz said to me, he said, he said, I go around the country and I'm in the inner cities of our country all over the place. He said, I've done it on the West Coast. I've done it in the Midwest. I've done it on the East Coast. He said, this is the first time I've ever done it in New England. He said, there's something different about the inner city of Bridgeport. He said, I drive down the street in that bus and I look at the people walking down the sidewalks and I look at the people sitting on their porch. He said, I look in their faces. He said, what I see in many of their eyes is hopelessness. Hopelessness. I looked at Brother Kuntz and I said, the, uh, many of the industry-type jobs have vacated Connecticut and there's not a lot of good-paying jobs for the poor people that live down there. I said, financially, there isn't a lot for them to do and there is quite a bit of hopelessness. You know what sin does? It tears down and it destroys and it leaves us laying low. What does it do? It beats us up. And leaves us in the ditch. Now, I want to be very, very careful with what I'm preaching today. I, look, look at me. I have two things to say. Number one, it is not my intent to offend anybody here. God has given me a heart to love all people. I have given my life to try and love all people. I don't want there to be a bone of prejudice in my body. And so if something I've said today offends you, please, I ask that you extend grace my direction. My goal is not to offend, but to help. The second thing I want to say is not everybody who lives in the inner city is broken. There are plenty of good people that have it all together in the inner city. There are plenty of people who are married and uh, they love their spouse and they work hard and they're raising their kids and they're doing just fine. And so I don't want to paint with a broad brush a people group. But I am going to tell you that in many of our inner cities there is an uptick in poverty, and there's an uptick in violence, and the stats bear this out. I'm just simply stating the facts. There's an uptick in, in, in drug use, and why? Because there are people who are living in pain, and those drugs help get them through from one day to the next. Sin has left people broken. Number one, we see the condition. Number two, we see the calloused. The calloused. Look at verse number 31. Luke chapter 10, and look at verse 31. The Bible says, And by chance... There came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. Notice here that to avoid this poor soul beat up and dying in the ditch, uh, they had to intentionally cross the road and go to the other side. What do we see about the priest and the Levite? Letter A, we see they were religious. Write it down. They were 
religious. They were religious. Look back at verse 31. And by chance, there came down a certain... What's that next word? What's that next word? Look at verse 31. And by chance, there came down a certain... Priest. He's a religious man that way. Look at 32. And likewise, A, what's that word? A Levite. When uh, He was at the place. The priests and the Levites were the ones that did the serving uh, of the religion to the community. And so, how many people sit in church week after week wearing their nice clothes and their fancy dresses and feel as though they must be important to God. All the while, there's some little boy or girl who's being abused or neglected at home. Their only hope to hear about Jesus is for somebody to get out of their religious stuffiness and embrace some attention-starved little bus kid to embrace some kid who smells like cigarette smoke or body odor and to hug them and to love them. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 27 says this, Pure religion, and what many people have is not pure religion. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. Listen now. To visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. We have a community of people who don't know who Dad is. And the best thing you can do to be religious is to get up and to go in those communities and love them and be a father figure to them. What's pure religion? The Bible lays it right out there for us. It's to love the fatherless. Let me ask you a question this morning. Who is a fatherless child that you know right now that you're making an investment in? Can you think of one? Don't say it out loud. It's a, it's a question you're just meant to answer in your heart. Can you think of a fatherless child that right now you're making an investment in? That's pure religion. Guess what? Getting up to church and putting nice clothes on and tucking your Bible under your arm and getting in your mid uh, your, your uh, twenty thirty forty thousand dollar car, leaving your two hundred thousand two hundred four hundred thousand dollar home and driving to church in your climate controlled car and getting out of the car and walking in and looking all dapper and waving at everybody and getting your coffee and going to your class and shaking hands and passing offering plate and being sweet and getting in your car and going home and having lunch. That is not religion. You know what's religion? Visiting the fatherless and widows in their affliction and keeping yourself unspotted from the world. That is religion. We got a bunch of people, boy, they're religious, but they don't have they don't have a pure religion. They don't have a pure religion. I'm sorry if I'm hurting your feelings. I didn't say it. James 1:27 did. What did the old preacher say? He said, "I I'm not the one that wrote it. I just told it and quoted it." I just told it and quoted it. And we need to be uh, people who are investing in those that have a need. They were religious. And we've got a lot of Levites and priests who just look at the train wrecks of life in the ditch and they just look the other way and they just walk on by. Letter B, they were self-righteous. They were self-righteous. Look at Luke 10, look at verse 31. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. What did he do? He saw the guy in the ditch, half dead, naked, beat up, and hurt. And he just crossed on the other side of the street. And he just kept on going. Look at verse 32. This guy's even worse. And likewise, the Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. Here's how I see this going down, okay? The priest, he's got a busy schedule, right? I mean, he's got a calendar. He's got a lot going on, and he doesn't have time for this. And so he's just walking real fast from uh, Jericho to Jerusalem. He sees the guy in the ditch, and he crosses the street, doesn't break stride, sees the guy in his peripheral vision, and doesn't do anything about it. The Levite, on the other hand, he's coming, strolling around. He sees the guy in the ditch. He walks over, and he rubbernecks. Oh, man, that guy's, oh, oh. And then he crosses the street and leaves him laying there. I think that pretty well describes most of us here today, doesn't it? Some of us are so cocooned in our little bubble, right? We've got our nice home, we've got our nice job, we've got our nice life. Yeah, we've got our share of problems, and they're hectic, but... We don't even want to see the hurt and pain that's going on in the inner city. We'd rather just not look. And with our life, we've crossed the street and we're walking on by and we don't want to know. 
But shame on those that take the time to go and look in the ditch. And then they cross the street and walk on by. Pastor, I know there's a need, but what do you want me to do about it? I know there's a need, but I can't help everyone, so what's the point of even trying? I know there's a need, but Pastor, my life is busy. I don't have time for that. And if you sit idly by and do nothing, could it be that you are religious, but you are self-righteous? You know, there's a word that describes this behavior. It's the word calloused. Calloused. You are calloused toward those little boys and girls who are suffering from the results of sin. We see the condition. We see the calloused. Number three, let's see the compassionate. The compassionate. Look at verse 33. Luke chapter 10. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Letter A, we see about the Samaritan, this compassionate Samaritan, we see he set aside his prejudice. He set aside his prejudice. Look at verse 33. Look here. The Bible says, but a certain Samaritan. A Samaritan. Now, if you don't know about the racial tension that existed between the Samaritan and the Jews, let me take a moment and enlighten you. All right? The Jews hated the Samaritans. Why? Because the Samaritans were a crossover between a Jew and an Assyrian. And the Jew, the Assyrians had taken away the ten uh, northern tribes. And uh, they ended up uh, having babies together. And there was a people group born uh, from that mix. And so the Samaritans were half Jew, half Gentile. And the Jews were uh, uh, full Jew. And so they looked down on the Samaritans. They saw them as less than. In fact, they wouldn't even travel through Samaria, they would travel around Samaria to get from one part of Israel to the other. They would rather go completely into Gentile land than to frequent their hotels and their businesses and their restaurants. And so the Samaritans were so despised, they'd even set up their own place to worship so they wouldn't have to be in Jerusalem because they weren't invited there. And you know what? The hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans, uh, were, I, I imagine, at some point had to be a mutual feeling. I don't think the Samaritans like the Jews, and I, don't, I know the Jews didn't like the Samaritans. You know what? If somebody doesn't like you long enough, you're going to start not liking them back. And that's understandable. And so, picture this. You have a man in the ditch who's been beaten and left half dead. Now, the Bible doesn't say he's Jewish. And I'll be honest with you, there's a little bit of an assumption here on my part. But he's traveling from a Jewish city to a Jewish city. Jericho to Jerusalem, so the man's probably Jewish. He's laying in the ditch, and along comes a Samaritan man. The Jews have mistreated the Samaritans, and the Samaritan lays aside any prejudice that might exist between the two of them, and he goes and he helps that man. I have shared about my experience as a child in the Deep South. Those of you that don't know, I was born in Indiana, and at the age of about a year or a year and a half, my Parents moved to Louisiana where my dad took his first ministry job. And then at age three, I moved to uh, Hattiesburg, Mississippi, which is only an hour from the Gulf of Mexico. And I lived in Hattiesburg, Mississippi from age three to 13. This was back in the 1990s. And the Baptist church we were a part of was filled with uh, deacons who were very racist against black people. They did not want the buses bringing black kids in with white kids. Didn't want it. And so my dad, who had a heart for everybody, worked a full-time job at our Christian school, had a lawn-mowing business on the side to pay the bills, so was working sunup to pass sundown every day, 
on Saturday mornings, he'd get up and get me out of bed and we would visit two bus routes. We would visit the white bus route. And then we'd go to the inner city and we'd visit the black bus route. From about 9 o'clock till about 2 in the afternoon, we were out making bus visits. Then on Saturday, Sunday mornings, I'd get up with my dad. We'd get on the bus. We'd go pick up all the white kids. We'd bring them to church. Then church would let out. My dad would take the white kids home. He'd drop the last white kid off. He'd take that bus to the other side of town. And he'd start picking up the black kids. And then he'd take them in, and there would be a Sunday afternoon segregated service for the black kids. And then that service would get over about 4 o'clock, and he'd take them home, and then he'd come back for a 7 o'clock Sunday evening service, and then get up on Monday and go to work. While the deacons were eating their Sunday afternoon lunch and taking their nap, we would baptize those black riders in the baptistry with no one in the auditorium. Absolutely horrible. Boy, it make my dad so upset. So wrong. You say, well, Pastor, that was the 1990s, and that was the Deep South. This is 2022, and we live in New England. You say, Pastor, racism isn't a big deal here in New England. And I would say, if you feel that way, you're probably white. Because you don't live like minorities do. You don't deal with the prejudice they deal with. You don't understand what it's like to walk in their shoes. And the truth is, I don't either. But I at least have taken the time to have conversations with people of another ethnicity and listen to their perspective and understand how they feel. I will admit that I think there's less racism in New England than there are in other parts of the country. But prejudice is still a real thing. Can I tell you a type of prejudice that still exists very strong in Connecticut? It's not so much racial prejudice. It's wealth class prejudice. Connecticut's one of the richest states in the country. We have one of the highest per capita earnings of any state in America. We're not the top, but we're in the top echelon. You know what? If you're not careful, you'll look at someone who makes less than you, and you'll think that for some reason you're better than them. You are not better than anybody. Did you hear what I just said? You, I don't care what color your skin is. I don't care what kind of car you drive. I don't care what house you live in. I don't care what neighborhood you live in. You are not better than anybody. We're all made in the image of God. and every God sees everyone equal. He is not a respecter of persons. This man had been mistreated by a system, yet he set the system aside. He set the abuse aside, and he went and loved anyway. Letter A, we see he set aside his prejudice. Letter B, he set aside his plans. He set aside his plans. By the way, before I get into B, if you're prejudiced, you need to get your heart right with God. That's a sin. You think you're better than someone else? My friend, you're wrong. And I have no problem putting my finger in anybody's face and saying, you have a sin problem. And prejudice is going to exist in the world until Jesus sets it straight. Because in all of our hearts, our sinful hearts, there is a desire to feel superior to other people. And we will grab hold of any difference we can to claim that we're superior. Say, I'm not prejudiced. Do your actions prove it? You can give lip service all day. Boy, our lives need to back that up. Letter B, he set aside his plans. Look at verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, 
And this Samaritan was going somewhere. He had a place to be. He had a destination in mind. He had a schedule to keep. But you know what he did? He set all that aside and said, there's a man in the ditch who's half dead, and I'm going to care for him more than I care about my own plans. Let me ask you this morning, how busy are you? How busy are you? How many here say, Pastor, I'm a busy person? Raise your hand. I'm a, hold your hands up for me. I'm a busy person. You ever go to bed at night and wish that, you know, you had 26 hours in a day? Or maybe that the week had eight days instead of seven or nine days instead of seven? Because you just can't seem to get it all done. If you're there, I know right where you are. I feel like that too, okay? i got a lot going on. You end up burning the candle at both ends and you say, Pastor, man, I hear what you're preaching and I agree with what you're preaching, but I am busy. Let me ask you a question. This is a question where you kind of back up and look at your life from a bird's eye view, all right? All right, listening, you get to heaven one day, and you stand before God. And he asks you about the schedule that you keep. How's that schedule going to hold up before God? Think about it now. How is that schedule got to stand up before God. You have time for what you want to have time for. I don't have time to... Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You don't want to have time to. Because if it was important to you, you'd make time. Hey, a preacher of a few years ago stood behind this pulpit, and you know what he said? He said, if you want it bad enough, you'll make a way. Otherwise you'll make an excuse. Is what I'm preaching true? I don't have time to come to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. It's because you don't want to have time to. Or you would do it. I don't have time to help with the church outreach program. It's because you don't want to have time to, or you would make a way. You'd make a way. You say, Pastor, I'm not real comfortable with your preaching this morning. You'll be all right. You'll be okay. All right. It's okay. Listen, this isn't a safe space right now. I'm preaching. Okay? You'll be all right. You go home and have your safe safe space when I'm done. All right? Just don't put the sermon back on. All right? It'll be on YouTube if you need to be made uncomfortable again. Ephesians 5.16 says, Redeeming the time because the days are evil. When you stand before God one day and you give an account for your life, hey, are you going to be able to say, I set aside my plans to help people that were hurting. Letter C. He set aside his pleasure. Look at verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, look here, he had compassion on him. When he saw him, he had compassion on him. This in no way is meant to put me up, promote me, but more just maybe to point out an attribute that God has given me as a pastor. I was at Tractor Supply in Orange uh, two weeks ago getting propane so we'd have heat in the building. Thank God we got the propane tanks installed and so I don't have to do that anymore. Here I am at the Tractor Supply with a tank that isn't working right and the manager comes out to help and uh, her name is Liz and uh, boy, I really have a lot of respect for Liz. Uh, she, I could tell she treats her employees well. And we got talking back and forth. And Liz said to me, she said, Are you a pastor? I don't tell people when I go out necessarily I'm a pastor unless I need to tell them. All right? I was wearing blue jeans and a hoodie and a hat. So I didn't look like this. You saw me the same way, didn't you, Anthony? And I looked at her and I said, actually, I am. She said, I knew it. I knew it. And I said, what was the giveaway? She said, I could see it in your eye. I could see it in your eye. Hey, you know what? You don't have to be a pastor for people to see that in your eye. You know what she saw in my eye? You know what I hope she saw in my eye? A heart of compassion. When you look at people, When you look at people in the eye, do they see that you're a person that's filled with love and care for the people you come in contact with? You're ripping that waitress because she didn't fill your drink fast enough or 
get your food out to you fast enough. You're hot and bothered over uh, the way uh, somebody handled you at a store. Customer, customer service isn't what it used to be 30 years ago. I'll tell you what. I walked into T-Mobile this week to um, look at a cell phone upgrade with uh, someone here at the church, and um, they were no help. How many of you ever walked in a cell phone store and just felt like that was a waste of time? They were no help. I mean, they tried, but they were no help. But you know what? I looked at the lady, and I said, Yaya, her name was Yaya. I said, at least that's what her tag said. I don't know if that was her real name or not. But I said, uh, it's funny what people put on their tags. I was at Home Depot two days ago, and the guy's name is Jedediah, but on his Home Depot it said Jedi Master. So you just, you just don't know anymore, right? But I looked at Yaya, and I said, Yaya... I said, thank you for all the effort you put forth today, and uh, thank you for trying to help us. And I gave her an invite to church, and I left. People need to see compassion in your eyes. And that might mean that you have to set aside something that you enjoy doing and be inconvenienced so that you can go and love on people. But can I tell you that when you live a lifestyle of pouring compassion on other people, there isn't anything more fun than that. It beats any weekend getaway. It beats any kind of cruise. It beats any kind of big vacation. It beats any kind of tour of Europe. It beats any kind of fancy trip. I tell you, when you give your life to pouring into others and you do it with your family, you feel fulfilled on a whole other level. Some of you here, you're selfish. All you care about is what goes on with you and your family. And there is the sinner laying in the ditch, and you just stroll right on by. Are you willing to set aside your prejudice? Are you willing to set aside your plans? Are you willing to set aside your pleasure? Lamentations 3.51 says, Mine eye affecteth mine heart because of all the daughters of my city. Jeremiah came back after the Babylonian captivity. Uh, The city had been broken down and burned. He's sitting there in Jerusalem. Children are wandering through the streets. They're uh, dumpster diving, looking for food because they're starving to death. Women are crying because they're so malnourished they can't nurse their babies. There's no milk to give their young ones. They're crying. They're weeping. Children are starving and death and Jeremiah laments he weeps and he cries and he writes an entire book about how heartbroken he was over the brokenness of his people and we need Christians today who say I see the brokenness and I'm going to step up and I'm going to do something about the brokenness you have to be willing to set aside your prejudice you have to be willing to set aside your plans you have to be willing to set aside your pleasure number four we see the cost the cost Look at Luke chapter 10, verse number 34. Speaking of the Samaritan, the Bible says, And went to him, and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again, I will repay thee. Notice quickly, letter A, his treasures. His treasures. Look at verse 34. And went to him and bound up his wounds. Look at here. Pouring in oil and wine. Whose oil and wine? His own oil and wine. That's medicine. And set him on his own beast and brought him to an end and took care of him. And all the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said to him, take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again, I will repay thee. Notice he, he, he poured out his own oil and wine. He used his own beast. The equivalent would be our own vehicle. He, uh, he gave up of his own uh, money and uh, he, he, he took, uh, took him to a, a, an in hospital and made sure that he gave of his Treasures. He gave of his treasures. You know what? Uh, if ministry serving others doesn't cost you something, uh, then you're not going to get much out of it. You, you got you to gotta invest a little bit. The old, the old verse from Jesus in Matthew 6 is where your, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Watch this. When you put your treasure there, your heart follows behind. Some of you say, I'll start giving when I start feeling it. No, no, no. You got it all backwards. You start giving, then you start to feel it. You with me this morning? 
You open up your pocketbook and you open up your calendar and you say, I'm not feeling it, but I'm going to give. And guess what? You start to feel it. He gave of his treasures. Letter B, notice he gave of his time. He gave of his time. Look there in 34 again. And went to him and bound up his wounds. Look further down. And brought him to an end and took care of him. He gave of his time. He made a time investment. Number five, and let's finish out this morning, the command, the command. And so Jesus recounts this story to this lawyer. And now he's going to ask this lawyer a question. Look at 36. Which now of these three, thinkest thou, was neighbor unto him that fell among thieves? And he said, he that showed, he wouldn't say the Samaritan. He that showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said unto him, look here, here's the command. Underline this in your Bible. Go and do thou likewise. Go and do thou likewise. This week I watched the video that was played earlier. And I meditated on what that... Meditate on what many who ride our buses and their neighbors endure. By the way, listen up. I don't just send my wife and kids into Bridgeport. At least once a month, I'm in Bridgeport. Sitting in the homes of those that ride our buses. Most everybody in here, I've either stood at your door or sat in your living room. I know what you got to deal with. I know it's not easy. I know it's hard. I walk in some of your homes and it's filth outside and I walk in your home and it's, it's meticulously clean. You can't help what your neighbors do with trash on the streets. But you sure do your part to keep your space clean. And I respect that to hell. You hate the drugs that are dealt outside on your street. You hate it. You make sure your home is kept clean. I respect you. It's not easy. I feel hurt. I feel compassion. For each one of those boys and girls and men and women who've been beaten down and left half dead by Satan and his sinful vices. But church, I ask this morning, what good are those feelings if they are not turned into actions? I hope this morning as I have preached, your heart has burned within you. I hope that you share a desire to see these people helped. You say, Pastor, what can I do? How can I get involved? Let me give you an A, B, and a C. Letter A, participate. 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 We need help on Saturday mornings. Maybe you could take some invitations and go out on a Saturday morning into Bridgeport and look for prospective writers who could be picked up. You could uh, go talk to a mom and a dad and say, hey, I met Junior on the street here and he brought me straight to you and uh, he would like to ride our bus and here are the details and here's a permission slip and would you sign this permission slip and let me get the information over to a bus captain and we'll be by tomorrow to pick you up. Um, uh, we need those who will go out on Saturday and uh, visit those who are in need. Uh, we need those who will get up on Sunday morning and get here by 8 o'clock in the morning on Sunday and get on a church bus and go out and uh, help us get boys and girls onto the bus and sit with them and uh, love on them and show them the love of Jesus and uh, maybe help with crowd control or maybe leading a song. And listen, you're sitting next to a child and showing them the love of Jesus could have an inter- uh, eternal impact for heaven and even an earth impact for the future of that little child. Participate. You say, Pastor, I, I can't right now. It just doesn't work with my schedule. You say, how can I help? Let her be provide. Provide. Our church rents two buses every week. Miss Cassandra, if you could let your uh, boss know that I'm about to say this, I would appreciate that. 
the owner or the uh, manager of the We Transport Bus Company in Bridgeport offers us an incredible rate to rent buses. We rent two buses for just under $300 a week. That barely covers the fuel, especially the cost of fuel. They're eating cost to let us rent buses at that price. And I'm grateful for Andrew and all he does to make this possible. Very kind of him. Miss Cassandra is one of our bus drivers. She's an employee of We Transport, and uh, she drives faithfully. We're thankful for that. $300 a week is an expense the church incurs, and it's an expense we will continue to incur. Some of you here could help give to offset those costs. You could make a 12-month commitment to give over and above your regular tithes and offerings and uh, help us pay for the, those buses. We, we would ask that if you're going to do that, that you mark your giving envelope bus ministry so that money gets earmarked that direction. Your contribution will take the pressure off of the church budget and allow us the liberty to run the buses every week. Letter C, here's one more way everyone can help. You can pray. You can pray. Some of you here today, your body will not allow you to visit or ride along. Some of you may not have the money to help us put new buses on the road, but all of us here can pray. All of us here can pray. Is your religion pure or is it pharisaical? Are you concerned with sharp, uh, how sharp you look and uh, the way, uh, uh, who, who you hang out with and uh, your family schedule and, 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 and having everything just perfect and in order? Or are you more concerned with loving those and having a heart of compassion. My prayer is that God would give us a church of people who show sympathy for those who are suffering. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Boy, I preached hard this morning. I know I did some toe-stepping. It was not meant to be done out of spite. It's meant to spur you, encourage you, to wake up and see the person in the ditch. And don't just walk by. Stop and pour in the oil and wine. Put them on your beast. Take them to the inn. Pay the innkeeper. Tell the innkeeper you'll finish paying the tab when you come back through town. I'm here today to encourage you to be the Samaritan, not the Levite or the priest. Love your neighbor. Two greatest commandments in the Bible are to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Can you honestly say this morning that you love your neighbor, especially that you love your neighbor as much as you love yourself? Boy, I don't want to be guilty of using guilt tactics to get you to do something. I don't want to guilt you into anything. But I hope the Spirit of God will lead you to make some real decisions this morning. Every soul that climbs on that bus every Sunday is precious. There are many more like them in Bridgeport who need a ride to church. We have the manpower and the money. Boy, we could bring so many more. Lord, would you work in each of our hearts this morning to make the right decision? Would you help conjure up sympathy in our hearts that's turned into real action? May we not just feel something like the Levite and cross the street, but may we feel something like the Samaritan that gets off our horse and goes and does something about it. Help us not to just be hearers, but doers of the Word. In Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed.